Hi everyone, this is Christian Lee. Welcome to my new podcast, The Clee Side Escape. On Monday, I'll be releasing a more extensive intro on what this podcast is going to be all about, as well as the inspiration behind my starting the podcast. Today, I caught up with my good friend Lodge Dales on the big stories from this week in European soccer. Welcome back to Clee Side Escape. I'm here with King of Ohio High School Soccer former goalie Lodge Dills. Lodge, how are you doing today? Pleasure to be here. Doing pretty well, thanks. How are you, Christian? I mean, I'm solid. It's it's Friday at 5. Are you um you're you're a, you know, member of the workforce. How does that feel? You know, I am a member of the workforce, but not not in the traditional sense, you know. I work from home Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday through Friday, I sort of work in office. I work like 2 minutes from my or I live 2 minutes from my office, so I can kind of go home whenever I want. Uh, today I went home a little bit early, but still had to kind of do some stuff, unfortunately. Nice. Well, um, it's too bad you missed this PSG Lille game. It was a solid one, although it's probably something you've seen a million times before. It was very much a typical PSG game. Um, so I just want to run through that real quick. Uh, PSG was minus one and a half to start the game. I was going to take Lille on the on the kind of backdoor cover, which they ended up doing, but got scared off by Messi, ended up taking over three goals, which pushed when the game uh, ended 2-1. to one. So looking at lineups, um, U.S. men's national team, Tim Weah was on the bench for Lille to start. Messi was playing the false nine. Um, obviously, we have to mention Tim Weah before we mention Messi, um, as, is, as is the way. Uh Mbappe and Hakimi were both out, so kind of that speed factor, those balls over the top, that was kind of taken out of the equation for PSG. And Onus was really on Messi to to run the show, and I think the pressure was just too much for the guy today. Um, he gets yanked at halftime. I would assume that's like a precaution, but um, either way, pretty weird. Uh, this, Any injury? Any injury I, not that I saw, not that they reported. But you'd ha- I, I know he was doubtful for the game going in. Fair so enough. So you would expect something of that nature, or just just a precaution probably. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, unless your you're plan is to yank Messi off, and that's going to be your game changer. But, uh, you know, I'm not Potch, but possibly. So this was very much like two games within the game. The first basically 67 minutes, um, Lille really bossed the game. PSG was look, look, looking super vulnerable on the counterattack. And even there were like spells of possession where they were just getting beat and not getting to balls. Renato Sanchez was just pinging it all over the place, sort of playing point guard. Um, and then, uh, what is his name? The Turkish striker on Lille. Is it Yildez? Uh, yeah, Yildez. Let me check this out. Anyway, so he plays a ball into um, Canadian Jonathan David. Okay, yeah, Burak Yilmaz. Um, he plays a ball into Jonathan David. They got a deserved goal at like the half hour mark, and we're really continue to be in control. Like I said, Messi comes off at half, um, and at some point, PSG makes a double substitution uh, on the on the wing backs, I believe. And I'm not even sure. It was at like 67 minutes exactly. You could tell it was really a turning point. 
Um, I'm not even really sure that it was like a tactical thing that really like got them going. It, it literally felt like you're playing FIFA and they were like, okay, let's just start trying now. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, Oh, I also forgot to mention PSG got booed off at halftime. That was not good, but yeah. So 67 minutes, they, they really turned up the intensity. Um, Angel Di Maria really, you know, obviously like Di Maria and Acardi are probably the two. They're basically taking a backseat now with this Messi, Neymar, Mbappe front three. And Di Maria was fantastic in the second half. Set up Marquinhos for the first goal. Mm-hmm. Um, he let out a big scream when he scored. He actually looked like he was the only player who cared whether or not they won. Um, and then... Di Maria hooked up with Neymar for the second breakthrough goal late in the game, like probably 88th minute. Um, really nice one-two to put them uh, over the top. Tim Weah came on for the last 10 minutes. Had like one shot, nothing crazy though, but Di Maria was clearly the breakthrough player of the game. So based on what I just told you, Lodge, I, I don't – I would imagine that's not – Nothing I said, like maybe other than you know Messi being taken off at halftime, based on what you know about PSG, none of that can be too surprising. So my question to you is, do you consider this like a real soccer team or one that only exists as like a dominant force in FIFA games? Do I consider PSG to be a real soccer team? Uh, it's kind of it's difficult because when you say in Ligue 1, I don't really consider that a real league. There's not a lot of competition there. You can say that Leo won it last year. Whoop de fucking do. On it, right. It doesn't mean as much. It's kind of like, you know, for the dominance in Syria for however many years. Mm-hmm. When there isn't that much competition and there aren't teams, you know, consistently competing against uh, the big team and they can just purchase all the players of pretty much any other team that ever tries to come after them or any other team from pretty much any other league that just doesn't want to do anything except make a ton of money. I don't understand how you can call league play you know real i, I would say it's yeah. probably a fifa team in that aspect right however, and so, and they're, they're, they are killing sorry go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i mean however i mean when champions league comes around i think that they become more of a team because you know they kind of have to be they've never that's where they get the more experienced players and the more experienced game time and you know try to figure it all out because you know, you can play a team and you can screw around for however many minutes, 67, I think, as you said, still mm-hmm. win 2-1 against what's considered to be the second best team in the league. So that's my two cents. Yeah, I think, you know, I think I, for the most part, that's like a philosophy about this team. And I, I think it applies to PSG most, given that the, the league that they're mm-hmm. in, that these teams can really turn it on when it matters. I'm not going to lie, though, I'm a little bit worried about them, like, Seems like they're getting away with a lot, whereas I think in most years they really just would plow people over. But I know, like, you know, they're they're getting today. I just watched them get beat in the midfield for sixty-seven minutes, which was crazy. And they and it, Leo really should have been like at least two goals up. I mean, obviously the finishing on that team, you can't expect them to take every chance they get. But they mm-hmm. they realistically should have been two zero up. And then I don't know. There's just some things that kind of indicate to me that this team is more about like living in Paris, collecting that big Qatari paycheck and they just don't care. Like for me, so they just played, yeah. you know, back to back, they played Marseille last weekend and 
you know, they had Leal at home today who won, who won the league last year. Those are like probably the two biggest games they have in the, they had in the league. And, you know, they effectively didn't show up against Marseille. They go for a zero, zero draw. And then today, like it takes you 67 minutes to get going against a team that like, you know, basically stole your lunch money last year. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've, and it's something I would, I would totally agree with you. Um, Watching like some of the Champions League coverage, I think it's like Jamie Carragher. He was sort of like he was aggressively taking the opposite route, where he was like, "No one in this midfield plays." Basically, like, like the teams just run right through this midfield, and he was, he thinks they're like going to go out like in the round of sixteen, which pretty crazy. But I'm starting I'm starting to go down that route after watching them uh, play a full game. I just if like Man United is a bunch of players like a bunch of individuals on a team that's trying and struggling PSG feel to me like a team with a bunch of individuals who are struggling, but I mean, not struggling, I guess they're, they're winning a ton of games, but the performances aren't great. And I, I just don't get the sense that they, they care too much, but to their credit, they did, they did pull this one out in the last 20 minutes or so. Right. But I mean, it's, it's how you play, you know, you can say that they pulled it out and that it was a great win, great team win. You can see Marquinhos, you know, giving a shit, whatever, Mm -hmm. throwing up a big yell, but you know, if there's not showing, if they're not showing the fight in the league games when you're down and you know, you know, right after they give up the goal at the half hour mark, as soon as that they make a switch and they start, you know, really pressing and going after it, then what happens in a, in a two leg tie, you know, do you care? Do you start caring in like the last 30 minutes of the what 180 minute tie? Like that doesn't really make sense. You can't really do that. So I, I really don't see this team going that far. Um, I don't know about round of 16. They'd have to get a pretty tough, tough draw there, but I'd say round of eight was probably where they bow out. Um, can't see. And, you know, they're just, they're, they have some fights and they've shown some like fight in previous years when they took Bayern to the final, but that was really just more, they were getting calls and they were being rats and they were, you know, playing the game and getting a little scrappy. And that's even a little bit better than just not showing up and not caring and, you know, just really not caring, like not giving a shit, which yeah. seems like they've been doing this year. Yeah. Funny you bring that 2020 um, Champions League final up. I was thinking about that, that today, largely just because, Neymar, for whatever reason, didn't didn't seem to care that uh, this messy guy he brought over was on the pitch, and he was doing that typical step over bullshit that doesn't ever really come off. So um, that was funny. You said that. I just that was something it reminded me of today. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was kind of a fresh off the post game recap. This episode is hopefully going to air on Monday night. Um. And so I normally wouldn't do this going forward, but a couple big stories um, this past week in soccer and wanted to bring you on, especially for, for your perspective, given your status as a Byron fan. And then also I know you had some hot takes about the Barcelona situation. So going to be pretty particular here about the order I go. I want to talk about Byron first. I think this is actually the bigger story. Um, so I'm going to read this quote to you from Thomas Muller. Sure. Uh, Thomas Muller to Sky Sports Germany. Throughout the whole game, we never managed to switch on the Byron anger motor. Such a collective failure by a Byron team in such an important game, a knockout game. It's something I've never experienced. Honestly, it's hard to grasp. So 
for those of you who don't know, Bayern went into Gladbach in the German Cup. Gladbach's a pretty respectable team who's in and out of the Champions League normally. Um, mm. And the German Cup is probably the probably the biggest cup competition in Europe, in my opinion, just because it's the only cup in that um, in that country, and Bayern dominates the league, so teams seem to really get up for it. And it was really a um, 5 0 just thrashing by Gladbach. Not something you see every day. Um, and resonated with me, kind of what Thomas Muller said, where uh, you were kind of waiting for Bayern to turn it on, and it just didn't happen. They didn't have their head coach, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, who was out with COVID. Um, and the uh, goalie for Gladbach, Jan Sommer, who actually saved Mbappe's penalty in the Euros, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just was not letting every, anything in. Some days he just has, like, godlike days. I, otherwise, I, I consider him pretty decent. But there's been two games against Bayern now where he was just incredible, and he was uh, on that day on uh, Wednesday night, I believe it was. So, Lodge, as a Bayern fan talking to you, I would love to get your take. If you feel like, especially the words when he said, such an important game, a knockout game, hard to grasp. What are your thoughts on that? So from the perspective of a Bayern fan, I agree. It's it's a tough game to lose. You don't want to lose a cup game because it gives you a lot more experience. Usually you can play younger players. Unfortunately, you know, when you get a draw like Gladbach really early on, Bayern played their best team. They also didn't have their coach. It's a new coach. You can blame it on that. You can say, you know, oh, he wasn't there given the pressing tactics and he wasn't doing this and he wasn't doing that. What I really want to call to attention here is how fucking shitty Lucas Hernandez played. <laughs> I did not see that man win a ball. You know, Upamakamo also started there. He was pretty poor, but I'm willing to give him a pass because, you know what, he's played pretty well since, you know, his first two games. I think there he was, you know, a little bit shaky, wasn't really into it, but he's kind of started to fit into the team a little bit more. He did have one mistake that led to a goal, but mainly there was just no coherence between the two. I think you cannot play both of those two at the same time in the center back role if you're going to play a four back. You got to bring in Sule, who actually knows the system, knows it, plays it well. I mean, you can say that Lucas Hernandez has been there for how long, but how long has he been hurt? I really don't see the two center back pairing of Lucas Hernandez and Infamacamo going anywhere. I think it's shit. I think that they should never do that again, especially not in a cup game where you want to continue to win the cup and you can continue to push further and you can get more tough games like that so that you can prepare for things like champions league. Now they have a game, what once every week, once every two weeks. And then when January kind of comes around, you have nothing until champions league starts around. What happens when champions league begins and they're not ready to play. They're not in fighting mode. They don't have those games under their belt where they need to be on top of it and they need to be pressing like that. I think it was a pretty poor loss, and I think that they totally should not take it lightly and consider it as, oh, well, we lost the Polkle, now we can focus on Champions League. No, that, that shouldn't happen. That was extremely poor. I'm incredibly disappointed in the team's performance. Well said. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I didn't know, you know, um, like being a Byron fan, knowing – like because I, I think they're still the best team in the world. Um, I don't know about you. Do. But um, – I yeah I mean I think it would be easy to just be like uh one game whatever but 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think especially like I, I, it's a little bit like PSG where I'm like, how did they not come out for this one? I, I mean, I know the coaches in there, but it's and I know you're pointing to some specific, um, you know, instances, but it, it still was a little bit mind blowing. I will say that like it was still a game. If you looked at maybe expected goals or something like that, like mm-hmm. Bayern were still very much in it. Like um, Lewandowski, Moeller, Nabry all had really good chances to score, mm-hmm. but it it's definitely a head scratcher. Um, and I also just think like the German Cup isn't the Bundesliga. Ultimately, every single competition like that is a full regular season probably just holds more weight because it really you know shows who the the best team is. But like, um, I don't know. Like in American sports, you get March Madness, and that's sort of what this is. And Dortmund came out and won it last year, and that's that's Bayern's biggest rival. You would expect. You know, with the likes of Holland and the noise that all the young talents are making at Dortmund, that you know that that's something that Bayern would desperately want to get back. So, yeah, I was I was equally surprised, and you know, really agree with your your reaction there. Yep, and I don't think it's anything that's going to get better because how when Champions League comes around, how are we expecting to be ready for those games? So, yeah, unfortunately, you know, you can say polkal, polkal, polkal. If you've ever – one thing I actually want to bring up. If you've ever seen Bayern's Instagram, it is the funniest fucking thing because they could get thrashed 5-0 and there could be, you know, fans that want to be pissed, but then you go ahead and you check the comments and it's thousands upon thousands of Mia San Mia. Like, keep it up, guys. Keep trying. Like, you're doing so well. I have been through – I've been a fan of Bayern's page for, what, two, three years now, and I don't think I've seen a negative comment. I've probably scrolling through tens of thousands of comments and I have not seen a single thing. It is ridiculous. Yeah. It's almost so, like a, bu- a bunch of people who haven't been hurt enough. Yep. Yeah. So, sort of, sort of like, like when, sort of like when the Browns do something good and it's like, people are too afraid to like get happy because they don't know how to do that. Yep. Yeah. So I guess always remaining on the positive side, games don't really matter until it gets into February and March, but to lose one this important this early is pretty disappointing. Yeah. So, one crazy thing. Now you can. This is going to be a little bit of like a uh, inverse twenty questions. I'm going to just like narrow down who I am talking about, and you can sort of jump in. But basically, there is a player. He's 18 years old. He started two games against Byron this year, and he's locked down Leroy, the likes of Leroy Sané. Maybe he's not dealing as much with Lewandowski, but he's been right up against Sané twice uh and he's allowed one goal over the span of 180 some minutes and he does not have a cap for his country do you know who i'm talking about watch i would say a right back from gladbach i have no idea yeah, you're exactly right it is joe scally on gladbach he's an 18 year old from um i believe like tri-state area uh obviously american international and our brilliant U.S. men's national team coach uh, Greg Berhalter has not even given him a call up, which is it's it's insane. He's still playing the likes of like uh, Yedlin and this dude Shaq Moore, who I don't even I don't even know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am praying he gets a call up for this this game against Mexico. Maybe he doesn't start, but I mean this kid needs to get in the system ASAP because uh, you know it's Sergio Dest is. 
a big talent for the U.S., but he offers next to nothing in terms of uh, playing defense on the right side. So, I mean, and this kid seems like he can kind of ping it. He had some really good combination play for the second goal. Um, so I would love to see him get in there and um, really just become the staple. I mean, he's 18 years old. seems like he can only go up from here. Quick speaking of the U.S. national team, wanted to shout out Cincinnati for hosting. Got tickets, got on the raffle. Uh, we'll be going to that game. Looking forward to it. Oh, that will be sweet. Um, you got anything going in Cincinnati this weekend in particular? <sighs> nope. No, nothing. It's just pretty shitty weather. I'm looking out my apartment building. Rain all around me. Depression. You know, Chicago <laughs> Falls. Or not Chicago. Cincinnati Falls. What can yeah. you do? It is what it is. Well, um, so you dropped a hot take on this next topic in our group chat. Main reason I brought you on the pod um, in addition to all this other other good stuff. But sure. So Wednesday night, Barcelona head, heads to Rayo uh, Vallecano. Is that how you say it? Anyway, I the, the fact I don't know who the team name is almost a testament to this. But they – Head to this team, um, end up losing 1 0. I'll get into the specifics later, but essentially, Ronald Komen, their manager of about a year and a couple months now, uh, gets canned at like midnight Spanish time that night, right after the game. He, in fact, he said, uh, after the 1 0 loss, he said, uh, We actually played really well. We deserved to win. Um, so, Lodge, what is your take on this firing, how it went down? Um, it looks like there's going to be a successor in place, and we know who it is, but just focusing on the Wednesday night firing, what were your thoughts? So I think, I think the reason you brought me on this podcast is because I thought it was a terrible move to fire him. If you're going to sack the manager, do it when you have everybody behind you, everybody agrees with you, and you can do it at a time when you have a little bit of time in place to, you know, have a training camp before season starts. You know, get players ready. Get them behind this new philosophy of a new guy that you're bringing in. Don't do it a month and a half, two months after the season has begun and they've already been, you know, indoctrinated with Coleman's dog shit way of playing soccer. And now they have to relearn something in the middle of the season. And definitely don't bring in the successor who everybody wants because he's not going to be able to make the impact that he wants. Couldn't agree more. Nail on the head. I really think this whole Javi thing is, um, like, yeah, it's he's the successor. Successor people like soccer is often weird where there's all these assumptions about things like, like premeditated years in advance. It's like, oh yeah, Mbappe, he's definitely playing for Real Madrid now. The legitimacy of that, like, fair enough. But unlike any sport, there's these like long drawn out narratives that go on like years in advance. Sure. And um, one of them is this Javi coming to Barcelona. Right. So it's like, it seems like if, when you, you know, basically decide to go ahead with that plan, like it better be a perfect situation. Right. And this just seems like a disaster. Yeah. I mean, everybody's comparing him to Pep, but one thing I want to call out is, Pep had Messi, Pep had Xavi, Pep had Busquets, Pep had Iniesta. Pep had all of these attacking weapons going into, you know, what was considering his first role or whatever. He was with the Barcelona B side. He was able to indoctrinate the team exactly how he wanted to. Xavi was able to do the same thing 
However, in a Qatari team, no problem. I mean, he's got all the money. They're basically the PSG of the Qatari like, league. They have Jordan Ayu, who nobody's heard of in a while, but he probably makes $10 million a year. Same thing with Santi Cazorla, doing the exact same thing. Tons of big-name players in a, sh- in a slow-name league, in a small-name league, doing whatever he wants, playing ping, playing you know, beautiful football, beautiful soccer, whatever you want to say. But if you want him to do that and you want him to do that the right way at Barcelona, definitely don't give him players like Depay, who's just going to try to dribble everybody. Definitely don't give him continuing players that are young, like Fati, who's supposed to lead the team. Like Pedri, who's, you know, coming off of 50-game season. Don't give him players that definitely, you know, want to give him their best, but aren't going to be able to because they're just not ready yet. That's my opinion. And I think that it's a pretty, pretty poor decision to say that Xavi is ready for Barcelona. I think he might be. He might be ready for Barcelona. But what's more important is that Barcelona isn't ready for him at this time. Very well said. Yeah, it seems like. You know, and there's like, what after that? It just it, it seems so risky. So one thing I want to call out that I think is particularly brutal about this firing. First of all, I think anytime a coach gets fired at like in the middle of the night, that just screams like a bunch of angry people who like don't have much of a plan. Yeah. Um, and another thing I want to call attention to, like <laughs> part of me feels like maybe they got so pissed at, the fact that he said they played well, that they were like, oh, like, is he serious? Like, does he know who we are? And maybe there was some ego- egoism in that, and they were like, this guy's got to go immediately. But I think one thing that's particularly hard, so you go back to the to El Clasico on Saturday, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and Sergio Des, you know, blast that one over the bar. Easy to, you know, be a hindsight, you know, like armchair quarterback sort of thing, but... um. If he puts that in, that could be a completely different game. He has virtually the same thing happen to him today where he blasts one over the bar and then – or, you know, Wednesday when he blasts, blasted one over the bar. And then Memphis missed a penalty as well. It, ju- it seems, like, pretty brutal for those players. Maybe I'm a little sensitive towards Sergio Desk because he is an American. But, like, damn, like, it, it must feel to them when your coach gets fired right after that game that, like, you legitimately got the coach fired. You smoked the layup, and now he's gone. I mean, I mean, you can split hairs and say that, I'd say. Um, but from his perspective, I'd be honestly more happy that I missed the, I missed the open net at that point. <laughs> I hate playing under Coleman. I just think he's so boring. He doesn't play it the right way. He packs in when that's never been the Barcelona way. He, he plays, you know, 10 men behind the ball in big games. It's not, it's not enjoyable. Like when they got thrashed by Bayern. You know, at least the 7-2 or whatever it was, 8-1, you know, they were trying. They were yeah. giving something. They were giving some effort. They were playing creative football. The last game, he put 11 men behind the ball for 90 minutes. To have a coach that does that and be a Barcelona coach just isn't right. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe they're like all sad boy hours because they all got that Dutch connection going, but. Also, probably not. <laughs> uh, last thing on that, Eric Garcia is kind of like just – that's kind of a brutal story. So, like, I don't know. I Basically, any anybody who plays for Man City, I'm automatically just going to assume you're good. And he does this, like, crazy thing where he's like, I'm leaving City. 
don't need you, Pep. Um, I'm going to Barcelona. I'm going to be the savior, and I'm going to be this long-term young kid, be a good center back, and it's not working out. Any thoughts on that? I mean, it's just it's just kind of sad to me. I thought I thought the story was kind of sweet going into it, and um, yeah, it's just not happening. You know, when I saw him leaving for City to Barcelona to do that, I I was kind of thinking like, where the fuck does this kid get his ego? I have not seen him <laughs> on the field for Man City playing. You know, yeah. Pep can say all he wants about you. He can rant and rave, which I'm sure he did about Eric Garcia. However, in the last season where you're supposed to be getting first team minutes and start to bring it up and then you say that you're leaving and you don't play, I didn't see him play that season in Man City. And then to come into a Barcelona squad that's already struggling and just play as he has, <laughs> I, I, I think that it was a pretty poor career move on his decision, on his point. I don't really see what he was doing there. Yeah, certainly looks looks like it. Seems like he went for it, and it is not happening. So, kind of, I have some serious doubts that uh, Pep takes him back into his arms. Um, I did, I did see somebody point out about all this, and I, I'm largely on the same page as you. But somebody said that maybe Barcelona got to a point because we'd heard so much about he's a dead man walking. They just don't have a replacement, or they don't have the money to really like do anything about it. And somebody did point out that maybe they got to a point where they just felt like, you know, this X, I think they might be like, like 12 points back or something. Maybe that, maybe that's a little too much. I think I might be mixing up them and Juventus, but um, it's, oh yeah. So it's close to 10, but somebody said maybe they just got to a point where they felt like this point number is too, is too dangerous for us to, like, financially speaking, if we don't make that top four, we're screwed anyway. So we may as well, you know, try and cut our losses here, pay a new coach, and ensure that we get that top four money before, you know, something catastrophic happens. They miss the top four. They're crazy in debt. They have to, you know, sell some of these young guns that they really want to take into the future. Sure. I mean, you can say that all well and dandy, but if you don't want to, if you want to save money now for the future, then probably do that before the season because now you're paying two coaches. That's, yep. that's my only opinion. I agree. You know, however many games in, I think they're like, what, eight or nine probably, something along those lines. And to say now that it's the right time to do it, there's never a right time, but it probably should be at a time at least, you know, where you can bring in a coach that he can have a little bit of time with the team before he's just getting battered with games, which is right what you're doing. You're bringing a coach right in, and he's just going to get battered. He's not going to have a chance to breathe. He's going to go back to back to back, Champions League, uh, Cup games, La Liga. Like It's, it's just going to be hell. I, yeah. I don't think that this is the right decision. Yeah, so they're actually, just looking at the table here, nine points off the top. I guess Rio Vallecano is actually pretty good. I don't know if they're like newly promoted – um, side, but they're like sitting in fifth, and so they are six points off the Champions League spot. But it's early. That's that's not where they want to be. They want to be f- far beyond that. So, yeah, that all makes sense. So I'm good on Barcelona here. Um, next thing, I uh, you know, great to have you on the show, and so figured we'd do a little little segment on Wags. I know that's uh, 
particular soccer interest of you. So some some Wags news. Um, this doesn't exactly fit the bill, but Ander Herrera got robbed by a prostitute last night in Paris while he was at a red light. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I read that report. Red light got sort of you know mixed up in my mind, but he was he was just sitting at an actual red traffic light. Um, pretty crazy stuff. She asked to like demanded he like drive her somewhere um, and took 200 euros from him, which all things considered that, I mean, I'm sure he had some piece of jewelry on him. That was a lot more than 200 euros. So poor job on her part. Okay. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, you're at the, it's the night in Paris and you see a prostitute on the side of the road, whatever you go (laughs) off. She comes up and she talks to you. You don't let her in the car unless like you're doing exactly what, you know, you would bring a person into the car, like a prostitute. I think like it's, it's kind of BS to just say, oh, it was at a red light and he got robbed at gunpoint and she got in the car. No, he led her into the car probably to do prostitution, prostitutional things, things like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's questionable at best. You can try to spin it any way you want, but yeah, my my naive ass didn't even think for a second that that wasn't exactly what happened. So I'm 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 um I'm happy you're more of the the cynical type here and uh could point out some serious holes in that story. <laughs> um, so beyond that, um, who else do we have? So Mara Carty, have you, have you been following this at all? Have you heard about this? Uh, not recently. I know the saga with Wanda and everything along those lines, but I have not followed recently. So when you say that, you mean like the one last week or the one like a year ago? Well, I mean, it was like multiple years ago. What? The- yeah. So no, there's a new one. There's a new one. So <laughs> this is like the most like just electric, like logic upon logic kind of thing that mm-hmm. <laughs> she did. So she puts on her Instagram, she like, and this kind of blew up like pro- probably like 10 days ago, but she was like, um, you did it again. Like you ruined another family. Thanks for cheating. And so the hilarious like implication there is, of course, she's implying that they're together. He uh-huh. cheated while yep. they're together. He ruined family number two. But what is what between the lines mean? there is that he actually had a family before he was with her and cheated on her. So she's like, you did it again. However, she was very much <laughs> the main accomplice in the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So and- that, that just, that's just amazing when you really break it down. The best part is it's got to be like what the contract negotiation is going on because she is his agent. I yeah, don't know she's his agent. That. Yeah, so like, so he was allowed to like leave practice. Like he was allowed to like leave the team for a week and go like sort out. And they were like following each other and unfollowing each other on Instagram, just like childish ty- type of thing you can only do when you're on PSG and the games don't matter. You know, that's true. That's true. Good yeah. way of putting it. And then finally. The big news, Ronaldo and his, I, I don't think they're married, just longtime partner, uh, Georgina, are having twins. More great Ronaldo genes out there. Um, PFT commenter had an electric tweet about it yesterday, if you didn't see. Uh, and basically, uh, this brings us to kind of the big question, which is, Lodge, who is your favorite wag? So bringing it back to Barcelona, um, 
I love a Dutch girl. Her name is Mickey Kimeni. She's Frankie De Jong's longtime girlfriend since they were in grade school, middle school, high school, I believe. Beautiful woman, um, you know, just a beautiful Dutch girl. Just she's so bubbly, you know. I always get excited when I see her <laughs> on my Instagram. She always just brightens up my day. You know, nice. She's got her own clothing line. I might buy something, you know, see where it leads. But yeah, Mickey Kimeni. Really? Have you bought something? No, I'm thinking about it though. For all you looking out for on Instagram, it is M I K K Y K I E M E N E Y. You'll thank me later. Beautiful. Good woman. stuff. Good stuff. Finally, a little bit of a, a little bit of a U.S. men's national team centric news to round it out. Um, Christian Pulisic's back in training. The the glass man. Yes, he is. It's great news. I'm I'm thrilled for him. Hopefully he'll be um he'll get a little game time at Chelsea and be uh on the pitch in Cincinnati when you get to see him in November. Um I, I would I mean I would just have to think he if he's not fit to start, you're you're putting him out to the last forty five minutes at Mexico. Even Especially the first forty five. Yeah, you gotta throw yeah. him out there. Yeah. I do wonder what happens with all this like Sergio Des playing right wing stuff. Um, I mean, he's tried it twice, and he's skied two over the bar. So, I think right. He so, go back. so is that how you is that how you feel about it? Like, if, for me, I'm kind of like, I mean, you don't pay the guy to finish, and he is like a good crosser of the ball, and like, I don't know. Part of me is all like, this Barcelona thing's such a project anyway. Why not keep him up there, see what he can do? But you know, uh, definitely hurts that a new coach is coming in, and who knows what he'll think of him. I mean, the only thing that I can compare him to, if he does do that, is like a Hakimi, so like a wing-back type deal where he kind of yeah. plays winger but not really isn't there to score goals, but it's just there for yeah. services. And I can see that. I mean, I think it's worthwhile to try. Yeah. But <laughs> you definitely can't be consistently playing him right wing when the first two times he's had open nets and just sky. Yeah, definitely. I, I hear that. and um, Yeah, he, he, he scored that great goal against Costa Rica too, but – yeah. Also, single-handedly lost a couple points for us at um, playing Canada when Alfonso Davies just absolutely <laughs> destroyed him. Um, but, yeah, so a couple other stories. Ricardo Pepe was uh, – Fabrizio Romano tweeted today a quote from an interview where he said he wants to play for Real Madrid someday. I mean, he's probably got to make a couple stops along the way, right? Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, he'll go to, what, an Italian side or he'll go to a German side and he'll play for a couple of years and then he'll probably go to a bigger team and then he'll end up there. But really what it is is just name recognition, and that's what's important for the U.S. side right now. So having yeah. those aspirational dreams saying that you want to play for a big team, the biggest that we'd seen before is from Pulisic with Chelsea. You know, European champions, everything great, but it's no, it's no team like Real Madrid. It's no team like Barcelona. I personally don't think of Dest as like a like a homegrown American player, if that makes right. sense. So seeing like a like a homegrown-ish type player from the continent playing and then going over would be huge for the game. And cool you say homegrown too, because he's maybe not like your uh, suburban soccer mom's son, like you know Christian Pulisic is. He is a El Paso El Paso born and bred Mexican American guy who you know was between. Uh, the U.S. and Mexico, and thank God we got yeah. this one. He's pretty sick. So, 
that, I mean, that's just so cool to read. Like, I, I believe him. Like, so, like, anybody else, like, even say Brendan Aronson, who I think is, like, really good. If he came out and said that, I'd be like, all right, pal. But yeah, I, I believe that this kid can go and do that. Um, finally, uh, there was a report coming out of Turin that Mass Allegri is actually a Weston McKenney fan after months of being not a Weston fan and lots of speculation that um, he was gone. It looks like he's here to stay and that Mass really likes him. So one thing that, you know, you always try to read between the lines on, um, like, just when coaches talk about their players poorly in the media. Like when Jose Mourinho says, like, all my players suck and, like, I never want to see them again. Like, he means it. But then there's other times with guys like, Deli Alley, where he's like, yeah, he's a little lazy, where you think, oh, maybe he's just pushing him. Um, mm-hmm. That's really the sense I got with Weston McKinney because he was, like, playing him 90 minutes on multiple occasions and was like, yeah, he, he just wasn't good enough. Like, But he continued to trot him out there, and I was like, man, I kind of feel like he doesn't hate the dude. Like, he wouldn't just be putting him on a blast and, like, continuing to, like, run him out there, so... This this surprise actually this report didn't come as a gigantic surprise to me. Yeah, I mean Weston McKinney's the guy where he's gonna have games where he's just unplayable. Like he does things that, you know, an actual number eight should be doing. He's running around the field, he's making all these crazy tackles and he's making all these goals and he's doing all this fun shit and you know, everybody's getting the crowd into it. And then he's gonna have like passionless games and I think he's hitting like a hump with that right now. And if you're Allegri, if you're any coach, you know, United States coach, you kind of just either got to play him through it or you got to say to yourself, hey, I'm going to sit this guy and I don't know how long it's going to be before he might get back to the level that he should be at. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, he's, he's, he's a dude who clearly loses some focus here and there. I mean, uh, who can blame him when you're in Nashville? Broadway's a couple steps away and there's a few thousand bachelorette parties. Um, sure. You know, hard, hard to get too, hard to get too upset at the guy, but he did his, he did his jail time. He's back. Uh, and hopefully this will be kind of like the right challenge for him. So, yeah. So lodge, that's all I got today. This was a blast. Uh, inaugural podcast really enjoyed, uh, breaking it down with you and the analysis. So, uh, we got a big weekend of Premier League. In the interest of not spoiling our uh, reputation, probably we'll wait uh, until next week to do some predictions, seeing that this episode will come out on Monday. But some really cool stories in soccer to break down, and glad we got to do it today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad to be the first first official person on the podcast. So always carry that. I'm going to write that on my resume. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Thanks, you too.